0: Hi, I'm Sarah Fry. Welcome to Patent Pod. Today, we'll learn about accessible educational materials, or AIM. Patent is the home of the Pennsylvania Department of Education's AIM Center, which produces braille, large print, and formatted PDF materials for eligible school aged students. Joining us today is Dr. Bateman, a professor at Shippensburg University, where he teaches courses on special education law, assessment, and facilitating inclusion. Dr. Bateman, thanks for joining us.
1: Glad to be here, it's nice. thanks for the opportunity.
0: So, to get into AIM, first, we really need to understand access, the first word in AIM. Can you explain what access is and why it should be prioritized?
1: Well, every, everyone should consider this, not just for, as you said, for students. We also have to think about parents. Um, because what we have to provide is make sure that everyone has the ability to receive and participate in what we're doing so that each has the opportunity to have the benefit of what others are getting and what we have to think about this when we think about access is it's again it's and this and I said it's not just for kids is that and I wish and I wish we were having this conversation but we're sitting here in covid Yes, we've had COVID in the past couple of years, but COVID is rearing its head again. And what we're having to rely on parents increasingly is to provide educational materials and assistance for kids at home. And some of these parents have difficulty either reading or accessing the materials. So we have to think about access broadly, not just for the kids, but it's ability for everyone to access the materials, not just for the kids. And so um, the purpose of this, and everyone should receive a benefit. That's what we're asking for, is everyone receive a benefit. So we wanna make sure it's equal across all parts.
0: So some of our audience might not be familiar with that difference Mm -hmm. of, you know, I referenced AIM, Mm -hmm. and if you're reading the transcript or following along with closed captioning on this episode, you might see that AIM, but we also have Mm AEM. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference between AIM with accessible instructional materials versus AIM with... Access, uh, accessible educational materials. Yeah,
1: it, and, and 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 states and across the nation are using them interchangeably. So I understand. I understand the confusion. Is what you have to think about is the materials broadly used as a part of all the educational materials that are provided by a school district everything on their website, all the materials that they pass out, all the information that they have, the information about sports teams, the information they have about lunch menus, the information that they have as a part of everything is what they're doing. That's broadly part of the instructional materials, things like that. Now there's others we talk broadly about the ed- specific educational materials for the kid. What is the kid going to actually going to use? Is it gonna be a, large PDF, a larger PDF? Is it gonna be something that's at a higher contrast so that they can access the material? Or is it something where they're gonna to have to have something read to them so that they can access the material? There are a variety of things we have to think broadly about both, but you have to think about all the audiences, not just the kids.
0: So, so as you mentioned, they can be used interchangeably, mm-hmm. getting us back to that goal of, of equitable access, yes. making sure for um, not only access, but participation as you yeah. kind of led off and, uh, at the beginning of our conversation. So. And we talked about everybody—the students, the parents. Is there anyone else, or just I guess generally when we think about the the school in the community, what's the who is the benef- Who's benefiting from AIM?
1: Well, the, the, in special education, well, not, I'm sorry. And
0: I should, I should say, I know that's a little bit of a rhetorical or trick yeah, question, but I, I think you're gonna help us really get to, get to the heart of it.
1: Well, the interesting thing is that one of the conversations we've always had in education or should have more frequently is a part universal design for learning or abbreviated UDL. It comes from the field of architecture and, and we've, we've kind of adapted that to what we're doing in education. But every single thing we do, we should design so that everyone can have access. Not, and keep that in mind as, as a part of this and and so that you don't have to then retrofit something later. You do it from the get-go and just keep that as part of your mantra that we're going to do this from the beginning. everyone's going to have the opportunity to receive a, a benefit from what we're doing about this. It's not just one or we don't have any kids who are visually impaired in our school. Well you may you, you may, but you have to you may have to think about this is you may have some individuals who are who, who, may have vision problems later in the day because they're of the eye strain, or parents who are gonna be reading the materials with the kids or studying with the kids who have eye strains later. There are a variety of things that we need to access as a part of this. Same thing goes with materials for, for individuals who have hearing loss, is we have to think about the opportunities for websites that read or make sounds. Can can individuals with hearing loss actually participate in this? So we have to think about what we can do so all can participate in where we are with this. The reason is, is we want everyone to have the opportunity to benefit. That's what we're striving for, everyone. And education it, Education has this as something that we're pushing, is that everyone's going to benefit from education. Now, does it, does it mean that every single square inch has to be fully accessible? That would be nice if we strive for that, but at least we can strive for alternative ways so people can actually participate with what's going on so they too receive the benefit. So figure it out somehow.
0: I think it's interesting that, you know, you just said there's alternative ways, mm-hmm. um, adding, adding an extra way. Bringing back something that you said about universal design, I think we've had a lot of conversations in the past about the relationship between, and I'll even throw another one in here at you, you know, UDL or universal design, accessible educational or accessible instructional materials. And then we can even go a little bit further into that relationship with assistive technology. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could, uh, from your perspective, kind of navigate or give us that relationship in a nutshell.
1: Well, yeah, so thank you. And and a lot of people think that when we're actually making accommodations or doing something, it's going to require a computer chip. It doesn't necessarily require computer assisted technology things in order to actually provide benefit for kids. It may be larger print and something we, a a handout we have. Maybe, more contrast, so people can, so an individual can see the, bl- the letters on, clearer on the page, or less contrast for individuals who have problems with white backgrounds. There are a variety of things that we have to think about that. When we think about uh, assistive technology, there's, it, assistive technology takes a wide range. And what we have to think about is that there are some kids, there are some kids assistive technology maybe um, for, who have sensory issues. It might be something that on, underneath their desk that they rub for sensory integration as a part of this. Or it may be uh, headphones. I, I, my, my daughter was saying this the other day, is that uh, my daughter works at a school for kids with autism, and they're were, they were about to have a fire drill, and she quickly ran back to her class and immediately put headphones on all of her kids because of the sensory needs that they have as a part of this. So sensory issues go across a lot, but sister technology is a very wide-ranging things. The problem is people often think about assistive technology that it has to have a computer chip, it doesn't. But back to UDL, that, you know, kind of interchangeably, in UDL, universal design, is things are set up so that everyone can access, that everyone can benefit as part of. It. It's a universal design about this. Uh, the easiest ones we can think of are architectural accommodations for this is that water fountains are put at a level so that an individual who uses a wheelchair can wheel up and access this. The hand, there's, there's not handles that they that have to grip that they can actually push and, and, and use. So there's a lot of things like this. But for, for educational materials, we have to think about do, do we need to make sure that we have higher quality PDFs or accessible PDFs, or there's a variety of things that we need to think about as a part of this. There's a wide range as a part of this, things like this. The one thing that I'm seeing is, and there are states, and I I look at a lot of litigation. Um, Some people watch Netflix, I look at litigation. But what we have about this is that within every state across the nation, pretty much there have been complaints about websites and websites are not often available for individuals because the font is fixed. There's sounds that are fixed. There's um, things that don't, don't, that don't highlight, that should highlight. There's a variety of things. And what we have to think about is the 508 standards and making sure that people can access those websites.
0: So I just want to take a moment and think about that. Um, with that that example with the websites, if we're designing something universally, and you mentioned kind of as well another example with accessible PDFs. So considering building that in from the start, like you said, mm-hmm. that proactive design that accessible PDF or making sure that things, uh, that those function, the functionality in the website is working for, for uh, users to maybe turn on the contrast or yeah. change the font size or actually the text, what it appears as. So that can be done as universal design to really broaden that opportunity. And then it could also lend itself into that accessible that, you know, that aim with that accessible PDF format. So they, they do live together.
1: Absolutely. Right? and yeah. then
0: taking that a little bit a step further that assistive technology you know as we think about with just legal definitions could be any kind of support but that is specific to a student's needs right yeah,
1: correct so yeah. I,
0: I even think about maybe a venn diagram where there's overlap between udl and aim there's overlap between aim and at and they all kind of work together to like you said hopefully broaden opportunity for access, participation, and engagement in, in the educational community.
1: Exactly, no, but but good web design works across all levels. And individuals who are, well, best example I can give to you is my son during COVID. When he was trying, he, was, he, he lost his job as many people did, so he went back to school to do web, web design. And when he, he just researched many different programs. And what web designers are learning is that they, they the really good websites are ones that are patterned pretty much like after the AARP, American mm-hmm. Association of Retired Persons, because individuals may not have, um, have grown up with technology, may have vision problems, may have hearing problems, and, and so to make it as so intuitive as so possible, so right towards the AARP, pay attention to their websites. So all his website design, it was, he was, he was doing it for kids who are 20 21 years of age who have clearly grown up for technology but the accessibility aspects that he was putting in were all based on those kinds of standards so good web design cuts across all these levels and we have to think about this because you don't know who's going to click on your website you don't know when they're going to need these kinds of things and I really I really hope we don't have to go to another shutdown of schools but when we think about this is the parents were having to navigate things and we are having having them to rely on using computers I mean we use Zoom heavily. Uh, three years ago, we, most of us didn't know what Zoom was or Google Hangout. We, uh, we knew what FaceTime was because we had kids, but we didn't have to understand this. But now parents are having to learn these, uh, have learned these things. We have to make sure that they can use these effectively.
0: And it's uh, just, to, I guess, put on a, a good exclamation point uh, onto the end of that thought is you, you said so from the beginning of our conversation is that you you may not always anticipate or you can't anticipate anyone's needs. Mm-hmm. So whether that a student enters the school year with a, a labeled or identified mm-hmm. disability or not, we're humans, right? We, right. There, there, there may be a development mm-hmm. or you may be serving a family where it's not documented. The right. family's not calling and telling you, hey, can, can you change this? Because I can't look at it the way that it's presented. So expecting or planning for the unexpected, Broadening that reach is important. Actually,
1: I'm just and building it from the get-go because you don't know. I I, I wish. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I'll I'll take this bet with superintendents. Um, can they guarantee me that no kid will need accessible information mm-hmm. during the course of the year? They may not have it now, but can they absolutely guarantee that's going to happen during the year? No think. Kids do things. Kids kids are involved in things, and and it's and many of these kids have many of these kids have disabilities at no fault of their own. And what we have to think about is making it so that they can receive the benefit of education that everyone else gets, and that's that's what we think about this because they're leading a life that they probably did not design or did not want. We and we we, we don't need to make it any harder for them.
0: So I hope that you know we've we've circled around this a, a lot, mm-hmm. um, and and I hope the why is. Absolutely clear now. Mm -hmm. For our school administrators that are maybe, and our educators who are watching or listening to this episode and are inspired to, to, to do more, what are some practical, get started now tips or advice you would give to educators and administrators?
1: Oh, uh, oh yes, very, very easily, is pay attention to AIM guidelines and, and make sure that they look at this and they start running their websites through the different protocols that exist out there. There's not one standard protocol, but there's a variety of protocols, and um, for most notably for special education is that the Office of Special Education Programs in Washington as part of the U.S. Department of Education has periodically put out what are called Dear Colleague Letters, guidance to the fields, often abbreviated as DCL, but guidance to the field about various things that they need to do to clarify what's going on. So make sure that their websites are accessible, go through this, but also make sure from right now, henceforth, everything is accessible. Yes, you may have some legacy things that you need to change, but make sure that everything that you have is is built into this, and that you don't you don't you don't uh, unfairly uh, prevent people from participating, because we want everyone to get a benefit. We want everyone to
0: participate. So not just the website, but educators could be maybe planning for their upcoming lessons or their units, mm-hmm. and with- that in mind, considering what might need to be converted into yeah. an accessible PDF, yeah. or taking those um, those guidelines into mind with selecting um, a, a more accessible font, yeah. ty- a face type, right? Yeah.
1: Yep, not only accessible font, and there are some things that are already built into, for instance, Microsoft Word has some conversion things that they can do as a part of this, but looking at what are, the, make sure you address the kids' needs, because we don't want kids to be suffering, and we don't want kids to be, uh, Going to go, or have to receive extra services when we could just provide easy modifications for them. Um, there, and, and for the parents too, making sure that we provide their accessible modifications so that they can all participate. Yes, from the get go, do this. But p- keep this as something that's a part of everything. So, what I recommend is that you, uh, you make sure that your web designers or the people monitoring your web pages pay attention to AIM guidelines and pay attention to this and address this. And then make sure that when people are publishing the websites and the websites that you link to, not just your websites, but if you if you have something that is part of the instruction that you're providing and you link to a website, make sure it's also accessible and kind of build from there.
0: You know, something that I don't think we have really addressed, and, and maybe it's obvious, but for me, you know, I think I want to hear it out loud again is, we keep saying we want to make sure that everybody has equal opportunity, equal access, but if that isn't from the get-go, as you've said, if that isn't a consideration, that does create issues, right? That, yeah. that might slow down that participation. It might prevent them from participating altogether.
1: Yeah, uh, not only participating, but also treat them as second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. And what we want is individuals to have the full opportunity to move forward with their peers at the same rate as their peers and have the parents also be able to move along and, and participate with their kids. Um, it's, it's, we don't want to create a second-class setting, and we don't want to unfairly punish, as I said a few minutes ago. No, we don't want to unfairly punish these individuals. We want to think about this. Now, it may, some of these materials, may, we may have someone who have, may read some of the materials. Districts were having to do this during COVID, where kids were unable to read things, so districts would get on the line and they would actually read things with the kids so that they could clearly participate. If if you don't have something that's completely accessible, figure out ways so that the kids can get access. But ask the people what they can do, what can be the best about this, as opposed to just assuming that you know better. Uh, Ask what works for them. Um, uh, because, there, because there are some kids who maybe uh, may have uh, severe vision problems, but reading might be the best way of doing things. It might be large print, or they, may ha- or they might be they might be considered visually impaired because of a field of vision issues, as opposed to just an, an acuity issue. So there's a variety of things out there we need to pay attention to. There's other kids who, because of eye strain, that towards the end of the day they've been concentrating so hard. That they their inability they have uh, uh, they have trouble concentrating and paying attention at the end of the day because they've been spending all their mental energy focusing on what's going on and they have a headache. So we have to really think about when we when do we provide this material? What do we do with them? And just pay attention to how we help them move forward.
0: I really like that. Just to kind of sum up, you know, from the get go, like we've talked about, be very proactive mm-hmm. with it. Seek out support from um, you know the guy the guidelines and references that you've mentioned engage those who you are designing for yes. Yes. right not yeah. making assumptions but at the um at the heart of everything pun intended aiming <laughs> for for that access
1: well and also yeah and and when we and one other thing and i've been on what you yeah. say is each individual who has a disability needs to be treated as an individual mm-hmm. and going to them asking what works for them. Because once you've seen one individual with a visual impairment, you've seen one individual with a visual impairment. No pun intended on that one. But what you have to think about is they may access the material very differently than another. An individual with a hearing impairment may access the material very differently from another individual. What works for them? Find out what works for them. Run with that and work, and continue to ask if that continues to work for them, and if they're successful. Don't just assume that that one conversation is going to solve everything. Check with them periodically, and don't, and 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 learn and learn from them, and but also learn that they, they different kids will have different needs, and understand this.
0: So there isn't a one size fits all. We no. know that in education, right. um, particularly in special education, yes. um, it, everything is uh, an iterative approach yes. to. Uh, finding solutions, but hopefully finding solutions early and not having to retrofit or or backtrack and and delay access and participation. Dr. Bateman, it has been truly an honor and a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I'd also like to remind our audience that uh, more information about AIM and PDE's AIM Center is available uh, in the show notes. It's linked to the patent website. Uh, I'd also like to thank John Ragsdale for uh, for producing this episode, and ultimately, I hope that everyone will come back and, and visit us again on Patent Pod. Seek out another episode to watch or listen. Thank you.